Welcome back to the Relatively Damaged Podcast by Damaged Parents, where inspiring, feisty, courageous people come to learn maybe, just maybe, we're all a little bit damaged. Someone once told me it's safe to assume 50% of the people I meet are struggling and feel wounded in some way. I would venture to say it's closer to 100%. Every one of us is either currently struggling or has struggled with something that made us feel less than. Like we aren't good enough. We aren't capable. We are relatively damaged, and that's what we're here to talk about. In my ongoing investigation of the damaged self, I want to better understand how others view their own challenges. Maybe it's not so much about the damage. Maybe it's about our perception and how we deal with it. There is a deep commitment to becoming who we are meant to be. How do you do that? How do you find balance after a damaging experience? My hero is the damaged person, the one who faces seemingly insurmountable odds to come out on the other side whole. Those who stare directly into the face of adversity with unyielding persistence to discover their purpose. These are the people who inspire me to be more fully me. Not in spite of my trials, but because of them. Let's hear from another hero. Today's topic includes sensitive material which may not be appropriate for children. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended as advice. The opinions expressed here were strictly those of the person who gave them. Today we're going to talk with Wynne Charles. She has many roles in her life. Daughter, sister, friend, author, disability advocate, and more. We'll talk about how she was sexually assaulted by a family member and how she found health and healing. Let's talk. If you want to share your relatively damaged story of struggle and how you found hope, visit us at damagedparents.com and complete the contact form. Welcome back to Relatively Damaged by Damaged Parents. Today we have Wynne Charles with us and she is just amazing. She's an author. Gosh, what else have you done, Wynne? So much. You're an advocate. Author, podcaster, Iron Man, Iron Man triathlete and triathlete and advocate. Yep. So I'm so glad to have you here. And so the only thing I think I missed was the the Iron Man. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, well, that's, that's beside the point. It is besides the point. So you're here to talk about a struggle, though, about emotional and physical stuff. I am. And my struggle is still going on after it happened. Let's back up. For those of you who do not know, what this strange person is doing on Angela's podcast. My name is Wynn. I have cerebral palsy. And cerebral palsy is a neurological condition. So cerebral palsy is brain damage at birth. And so that's how I got cerebral palsy. I was born at 27 weeks, one pound, 13 ounces. That's amazing. You were so tiny. Yep. And so, needless to say, I grew up in Aspen for 33 years. And after my dad died, let's back up again. I lost my mom in 2010. And my dad became widowed in 2010. And so, I lost my mommy when I was 23. As if 
losing the Yalami wasn't pawed enough, then I lost daddy in 2019 to undiagnosed bone cancer. As if that wasn't odd enough, I had a family member emotionally and physically abused me. Wow. Now, was that family member always around? Like as you were growing up or was this like a, was it like a sibling or was it? Um... No, 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 no. It wasn't a sibling. First of all, I'm the only child and my stepsister, but my stepsister didn't come into my life until I was 23. So, and she knew I had family. So no, it wasn't a sibling thing. And this family member happened to happen to be in my life up until my mom died, then disappeared, and then they decided after my dad died to come back into my life. And yeah, the day after my study said birthday, they said, "Come on, win! It's time to go." get dressed and me being a dumb and dumb that I am follows the person down the stairs knowing her tendencies, knowing full well that she's an alcoholic and knowing full well that she's a drug addict as well. And yeah, and then she closes the door on me and starts asking me all these questions, like, how's your home life? And she knew that I had just lost my dad, her brother-in-law. And so, and so she knew I had just lost my dad. But at the same time, the abuser will go on and on and on to get the point class. And she was livid, livid from the point I thought, I don't know what to do with this woman. And then she, I don't remember the, I truly don't, I don't remember the emotional and physical abuse. I remember lying back on a bed, naked, number one, and her sticking a camera on an iPhone, believe it or not, where it shouldn't be stuck. That was what the straw that broke the camel's back was. Now, Bennett, she lives in the Bahamas where my mom grew up. So this wasn't you. This wasn't U.S. territory. This wasn't U.S. territory. This was she thought she was trying to, go. and it wasn't helpful. It wasn't what. It wasn't helpful. No. No. So you were in the Bahamas at the time. I, no, I was in Aspen, Colorado. You were, okay. Yeah. And she came to visit, it sounds like? She came to visit. She came to do what, unbeknownst to me, was a safety check. And unbeknownst to me, was a welfare check. And that's what I consider that. So she was supposed to just be checking on you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and I hate to say this, but my dumb, dumb stepmom let, let her and her sister in the house. And yeah, 
my aide, um, no, at that point, it wasn't my aide, um, because my aide was an alcoholic and a drug user in my house. Yeah. I knew this from the previous encounters, too. Right. But, I mean, you were totally violated. What did you do after that? And how did you get help? And now looking back on it, I could have gotten more help. But I told my counselor what happened. And because I knew I was physically and emotionally abused. And I knew that it was happening. And I and now it's quite common for physical and emotional abuse to be common with people with disabilities. So me sharing my story, people know my story, people know where I am, people, it's public knowledge. It was public knowledge as soon as my case was closed. It's called Adult Protective Services. And yes, there's a thing called Adult Protective Services. They do the exact same thing that Child Protective Services does. A lot of people know about child protective services they don't know so much about adult protective services yeah which i would think and especially within the disability community would be important for those of us with disabilities to be aware of that that there is yeah something there is something but uh, people don't know i didn't know about it until i went through my own case Mm-hmm. And so how did you stay strong through that process? That must have been very difficult. I mean, you're talking about, um, which probably, you know, with your, because your dad had passed. So then your stepmom, was she in charge of your care or were you in charge of your care at that point? She was. Okay. So that must have been a little bit terrifying. Well, it was, now that I think about it, it was terrifying that she would let a family member who would, um, drug and alcohol using my my house into my life again, which my dad tried to kick this woman out of my life for she got away for uh, 12, 12 years. Yeah. So she went to prison? No, no, no. She oh. she was not because my dad was all the presentative of me. He didn't want her contacting me. He didn't want my mom's family contacting me and she's still she's still in the Bahamas and people have asked me did she move to the Bahamas because of this no the answer is no my mom grew up in the Bahamas and they still live in the Bahamas but the fact of the matter is she won't do anything towards repairing all the relationships she just wants to leave me out to die and basically, my family comes from the old mantra of the child has a disability. The child has a disability. Let's hide them in a deep, dark closet and not, not let them see the light of day. And that's what your mom's side of the family has that belief? Yes. Yeah. Uh, gosh, that would be really hard to live with if you know that that's what they're thinking. Yeah. yeah. So how do you... How do you do that? How do you continue to show up knowing that they don't they don't want you there? I have decided I am very conscious about what I tell them and about how I interact with them. And I have gone 
through lately I have gone to I do see a counselor and then I do um, extra therapy on the side of seeing my counselor so that has helped a lot and because and it's so oh go ahead go ahead Okay. I was just going to ask if writing and being out here as an advocate is helping you heal and feel more confident. If you want to share your relatively damaged story of struggle and how you found hope, visit us at damagedparents.com and complete the contact form. Okay. I was just going to ask if writing and being out here as an advocate is helping you heal and feel more confident. It, it is and it isn't because of the reason why it isn't is because, and I don't care, my family listens to my work. And so they know how I feel about it. They know how I feel about it. They will probably listen to this podcast too. And they, they know how I feel about it. I mean, but luckily for me, I have done a lot of support. I'm in a better place now, safety-wise, than I was than I was in 2020, so about 2019. Yeah, so this is really very recent for you in the grand scheme of things. My emotional and physical abuse and sexual happened in 2019. Only almost two years, maybe a little bit more of two years yeah. going going on with this. And what was the hardest part of that journey? Besides the experience, right? Once the experience happened... What was the hardest part that you had to get through and how did you keep going? The hardest part that I had to get through was um, being professionally interviewed by a professional interviewer because I I had one of my aides do a witness statement day one. I did my witness statement. I did mine. We as a victim, any victim will tell you you have to be interviewed by a professional interviewer get the facts straight. And then um, my stepmom, who really didn't, and then my stepsister did hers over the phone. And then my stepmom really didn't want to do the witness statement. Right. So did she, she eventually did it though? She eventually did it, but she was last. And then did you still have to go through court and things like that? I am lucky that I didn't have to go through court because I told the I told my counselor they reported what I said and then I decided not to put a restraining order against this woman, even though I would have asked for whether I wanted to put a restraining order against this woman. I said no. Because I was I'm still going through a different thing with my family that would have kiboshed, if I put a restraining order against the woman, it would have kiboshed the thing I'm going to now. Yeah. And then earlier, I think, I thought I heard you saying, maybe it was before we started recording, that you're still going through some of these things. You're still yeah. dealing with them. And what do you mean by that? I am still dealing with them. I am dealing with the traumatization of it. I am mm. still, I still have a fear of people touching my body because of the way it was. I'm slowly but truly getting over that. 
and I, um, a lot of people don't know that, but when you get emotionally and physically abused or sexually assaulted, you have a fear of people touching your body. And yeah. Yeah. Now, do you like physically need help bathing and things like that? Yeah. Yeah. So that must have been really hard. It is. It is on it is on a daily basis. But I know down here in Arizona, I take my phone into the bathroom for that specific reason. And I'm working with an agency right now, and I will continue to work with that agency. So if anything were to happen like that, the agency would be in flat. I have people that know me here that would be here in Tucson's flat. I have I have people that I could call over the phone and say, look, this is what's going on. They would probably be here in Tucson's flat. I have a friend of mine, a lawyer, could be here in Tucson's flat. So even though I need help, Bathing, it would be a lot easier than it was um, in process. No door in my bathroom. That's why I put no door in my bathroom because for safety reasons. Right. So by by not having a door and by taking your phone, yeah, you're keeping it like uh, open so that yeah. other people in the house are aware of what's happening. That's really smart. And the way my house is set up. Is there's a front door, my kitchen, my bath, my bedroom, and bathroom down the hallway, but it's on the main floor. And they wouldn't mind swing or um, if they were out out in my living room and they heard me scream, um, they would come if they were smart enough to do it. Whereas when I got emotionally and physically abused. I was in a tiny ramshackle, and I will call it ramshackle because that's what it was, tiny ramshackle bathroom where you could barely fit two people in the bathroom slash medical equipment if needed. And they closed the door for um, purposes of basically me. And so that's why I said, no, we're not putting a door on the bathroom and that's why I thought okay I'm going to be taking my phone into the bathroom so just in case something like that were to happen I have a way to call someone to get them up here yeah and do you feel safer since you have roommates now I feel safer and well since I have roommates I feel safer and since I'm in a community that's built for the disabled even without roommates because my roommates are going to be leaving for the month of the December I won't get a new one until I um, until January but because of that I feel incredibly safe because I know that if something were to happen, heads would fall. Right. And I'm thinking, I mean, having to move and things like that, and and of course, needing AIDS, you aren't, you don't always get to have the same AIDS. So how did you 
cope and learn to cope with that, especially with the trauma you experienced? I, um, because I've been lucky that aid has never, never, never touched me. They know not to do that. They wouldn't know that had been more there too, that statement. But they also know that if they touch me, and they AIDS have my ex AIDS and these AIDS have become my friends so it's not like Susie Q walks in doesn't know me doesn't have a sense of what's going on I tell them I have and this is why I bought the house the way I did because so I could have people who know me, who are not AIDS, who are not, who are friends by coming down. And as I'm recording this, I two people. And that's the way I like it. And that's the way it's going to be set up. So yeah. people in general know that if, and I have my second people in general, know if they don't see me by a certain time and I haven't told them I'm going out or going somewhere, they know to check in on me. Yeah. So it sounds like you are really good about making sure you have people who support you around you and that the aides that you have are respectful and that you have open and honest conversations with them. Well, well. yeah. Yeah, and I will have open and honest conversations with anyone in the house, some more than deeper than others, but I will at least say, I, how are you? And it, it's got to the point where it's going to be very, very interesting because um, I'm going, I will always live with the scars of emotional and physical abuse. Yeah. I'm grateful that you're out sharing your story. Well, that's because I, there's a reason why I share my story. Because, um, and there's a reason why I um, share so publicly too. Because so many moms and dads leave their kids or their adults at home with these caregivers. And God knows what is going on when mom and dad walks out the door. Yeah. Well, and thank goodness you have the ability to communicate, right? Yes, but still, in general, yeah, a abuser won't let you go get help. True. So even if you were able-bodied, they won't let you go get help. Yeah, there's that emotional. I think you're speaking to like the emotional abuse that happens, so that then you don't want to go get help. No, they won't let. You- the abuser themselves won't let the abusee go get help. It's not that we don't want people to get help. It's that all abuser will not let us go get help. Okay, so the abuser wouldn't like physically, or they would just stay around you all the time so you couldn't reach out? Yeah, they would just stay around. And it's not that the abusee doesn't want to go get help. Mm. and that's what my abuser did exactly right so when you make a call it's just adult protective services or can you call any like 
three-digit number? Like 911, I know, is there for emergencies, but... You can call 911 and say, help, I'm being emotionally and physically abused. Okay. Just for people who might be listening that don't know. Angela, you can call me one adult protective services number. It's a generalized one. I don't remember. It works in all 50 states. Yeah. I'm not sure if it's 311... Or another number. I know there's a few different three-digit numbers. <laughs> yeah. But it's because, and I'm going to tell you, in adult abuse, if you see, and if you're close to this person, they may admit that they got stuck in the eye, and they ask, be open and honest and ask. Because I was walking up, in my situation, that I had the three witnesses. No, I actually had five, but the fifth one didn't count. And so I actually had five, but the fifth one had nothing to do with it. And so I had four witnesses. And the fourth one didn't, was just my abusers. And she was, she was adding guilt. Mm. And she has, the witness, has since apologized. And she, and I'm careful what I talk to her about and what I speak with her on. And she has since apologized. The abusers will never apologize to their beauty. They will never apologize. And so I'm not waiting for apology. If she shows up at my doorstep, because there's not a restraining order against her, she is elected because of what she did from the state of Colorado. But if she shows up at my doorstep, I'm going to call the cops. And if my family gets to the point of emotional abuse again, I'm also going to call the cops in Arizona, and it's not really feeling pretty safe. I love your confidence, and you're like, nope, that's not that's not okay with me, and we're not going. I'm not going to put up with it. I have spoken to cops about this. We hired cops, and the cops say if someone's on, and even if they are family members. If you send the ones on your property who you don't like, and um, you can say get out of my house yeah. with no reason. And yeah. 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 I think that's great. I'm so glad you're out sharing your story. What would you say going through this has taught you? Like, what's the, the biggest learning? That you can't put your trust in all people including your family members, because you never know what they are going through on a daily basis. And this whole thing that kids should not be talking to strangers needs to go out the door. We teach stranger danger, in my opinion, needs to go out the door. We teach these kids at a young age to not have strangers touch their private areas or my private areas or your private areas, and this goes on and on. People think they 
people, 